This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, ambition to some degree bedevils all of us. We might characterize ambition as a dysfunctional desire for power and honor. Now, mind you, both those things, power and honor, are fine in themselves. God, after all, is described as powerful, indeed all-powerful. And honor is, as Thomas Aquinas said, just the flag of virtue. It's simply the indicator we give to show people something good, something virtuous. But when these two things, power and honor, are sought as means of aggrandizing the ego, then they become corrupt. That's ambition in the negative sense. Now, it's important, too, to distinguish ambition from magnanimity, great solidness, if I can put it that way. Magna anima means great soul in Latin. So magnanimitas, to have a great soul. That's not ambition. That's something wonderful. Thomas Aquinas, again, defines magnanimity as a desire to do great things, to accomplish great projects. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. Make no small plans. I'm a Chicagoan. That's a good Chicago sort of adage. And I I believe in that. Make no small plans. In fact, the virtue of magnanimity was rather fully exemplified by Thomas himself in the accomplishment of his stunningly long and complex theological project. I mean, no one would undertake the writing of the Summa Theologiae who didn't have magnanimity. So that's not ambition in the negative sense. The mark of ambition, again, is the focus on the ego. I want not to do great things, but to get others to see me doing great things. Not to accomplish some mighty end, that's good, but rather to become thereby an important figure in the eyes of the world. I'll go back to that scene from Man for All Seasons that I've commented on a number of times about Richard Rich, the young Cambridge graduate, young guy, 22 or 23, who's looking for a big job at the court of Henry VIII. Thomas More, who's the Lord Chancellor of England, an influential man, says, well, I've got a job for you. There's an opening in the local school. Richard Rich is so disappointed, a teacher. And Moore says, you might be a great teacher. And if I were, who would know it? Richard Rich fires back. See, and that's the giveaway. That's the sign of ambition in the negative sense. If I were, who would know it? He doesn't want to accomplish great things. He wants to be noticed for it. Now, our gospel for this weekend beautifully and laconically portrays two people in the grip of ambition, namely James and John. 
from a spiritual standpoint, their opening line to Jesus gives away the game. Listen, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So here's a little spiritual advice. Whenever you find yourself in that sort of relationship to Jesus, you are necessarily in a bad way. In other words, the right attitude is precisely the opposite. The Lord asking us to do whatever he wants. When you find yourself saying, like James and John, Lord, do whatever I want, you are ipso facto in a bad spiritual space. But now things get only worse when they specify what they want. Listen. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Notice, please, there's no interest whatsoever in the good that they might accomplish from those places of honor. The policies they might enact for the common welfare once they've come into power. No, no. What they want is glory. Grant us to sit, one at your right, one at your left, in your glory, so that we might bask in some of it. You know, I'm reminded here, I maybe shouldn't pick on the poor guy, but uh, the unfortunate former governor of Illinois, Rod Blagojevich, who's now in prison for many years for corruption. But, you know, he... A number of his conversations and phone calls were taped, and people were remarking on, you know, his bad language and all this. But that's not what struck me. What struck me was one of his tapes when he was caught up in a frenzy of ambition. He wanted this uh, Senate seat. He wanted perhaps an ambassadorial position. He, He wanted some job in Washington. But what he said was, here I am, stuck in this nothing, going nowhere job. And of course, at the time, he was the governor of Illinois. He was the governor of one of the largest, most important states in the union. And all he could see was, I'm stuck. I'm going nowhere. See, that's what happens to you when you're in the grip of ambition. Instead of saying, I'm the governor of Illinois. I have this extraordinarily powerful, influential position. The good that I could accomplish, it's almost limitless. If you had magnanimity to do great things and you had that office, there's almost no limit to what you could uh, dream of and accomplish. But see, instead, he just saw it as a go-and-nowhere, nothing job. That's a sign that you're caught in ambition. So, in response to their bold request... Jesus does not exactly rebuke them, but rather he reminds them what they are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What's he speaking of? But his passion. That's the baptism that he'll be baptized with. That's the cup he has to drink is his passion. And see, this is the point on which the whole gospel hinges. That's the moment of his glory. When the Son of Man is lifted up, John says, meaning on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. That's the moment when the Son of Man is glorified. Notice how in Mark's gospel, when Jesus refuses, when people you know, call out to him as the Messiah, they name him as Messiah, he doesn't allow it. Only when he is silent in death on the cross does he allow the centurion to say, truly this man was a son of God, because his glory is identical to his passion. Now, why? Why? And again, everything hinges on this. Because divine glory is not the same as human glory, especially under the conditions of sin. Divine glory 
always has to do with love, with the splendor of self-sacrifice. That's the splendor, the beauty, the glory of God is one of self-sacrificing love, which is exactly what Isaiah is speaking of in our second reading. This, frankly, weird prophecy about the Messiah who would be a suffering servant. This is not in the Israelite imagination. The Mashiach, the anointed one, the new David, would be a conquering hero. Yes, indeed. But here's Isaiah saying he'll be a suffering servant. Ah, the first Christians got it, though, didn't they? They got it when they saw Jesus as the Mashiach, whose glory was revealed precisely in an act of suffering and self-forgetting love. That's divine glory. You all know, I'm sure, that unforgettable story of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Franciscan friar, ends up as a prisoner in Auschwitz. From the time he was a very young man, he had a high ambition to serve God heroically. And his life took on that heroic splendor at the very end. Well, an inmate at Auschwitz, a member of his barracks escaped, and in retaliation, the Nazis identified 10 men who would be killed. When one of those men who was married had children broke down in tears because of his family, Kolbe stepped forward and said very simply, I am a Catholic priest. I want to take this man's place. The Nazi guards were only too happy to see a priest put to death, and so they put him in the starvation chamber, and there he died a few days later. That simple act would have been noticed by a handful of his pathetic fellow prisoners. But it was the fulfillment of his ambition to be with Christ in his glory. You see, the difference between Maximilian Kolbe and James and John in this story is Kolbe knew what he was asking for. When he said, Lord, let me be with you in your glory, he knew what it meant. These young disciples didn't know at the time. You know, something very similar in the writings of one of my great heroes, Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. From the time she was a very young child, she too, like Kolbe, wanted to do something heroic for Christ. It led her to enter Carmel, the monastery, when she was only 15. It also led her, just before her death, to a life-transforming realization. She wanted to do all the heroic things that martyrs and doctors and missionaries had done, but she knew in the confines of her little cloistered monastery she could never accomplish any of it. But then she realized in this great moment of illumination that the soul of all those accomplishments was the same, namely love. Love, as Paul taught, was the greatest of the spiritual gifts. Love was what animated the missionary and the martyr and the doctor and the, and the theologian. And therefore she discovered that her ambition would be fully realized if, quote, she could become love in the heart of the church. This was the heart of her little way. Listen now. Not doing great things, but doing little things 
with great love. Ah, now that's something you can be ambitious for. It's purged of all the negativity, all the egotism, all the self-involvement. Don't worry about doing great things. Do little things with great love. If I can press the Thomas Aquinas point, be magnanimous even in regard to the little things because you're doing them with great love. See, I think, friends, once you get that principle, your whole life will change. Your whole life will change. Now, be as ambitious as you want as long as it's an ambition for self-forgetting love. I'll end with this. How typical of the ironical sense of the gospel writers that James and John should ask to be at the right and left hand of Jesus when he comes into his glory. They're thinking about thrones, aren't they? They're thinking about places of prominence in the public uh, arena. But there were two people at the right and left of Jesus when he indeed came into his glory because his glory was the divine glory. It happened on the cross and the two crucified thieves with him. Were James and John willing to assume those positions of crucified, self-forgetting love when their master came into his glory? Good question for all of us to mull over as we seek the honor and glory of God. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.